Welcome to the Ridge Life Podcast. We at Pleasant Ridge Christian Fellowship trust this message will be an encouragement to you. Please join with us as we look into God's Word with Pastor Mike Bird. If you're just joining with us, uh, we've been covering about this uh, portion of Scripture that is called the Olivet Discourse. And uh, it's called the Olivet Discourse because it's a sermon that our Lord gives about uh, end times, about his second coming. And it spawned about because of two questions that the disciples asked. And they ask him specifically, they say, what is going to be the sign of your coming and when will be the end of the age? And so our Lord then goes on and proceeds to tell them of all the events that are going to take place and these signs, these birth pains that will be evidenced uh, right prior to his second coming. And uh, we've been covering over these things about the fast, uh, last few weeks, uh, explaining what, what is going to happen, these birth pains, about the sign of the abomination of desolation. Uh, last week, we covered about the, the sign of the coming, uh, the Son of Man, that when Christ returns, uh, what is going to happen. And uh, this week, uh, we're going to be looking at another portion of Scripture here, uh, beginning in verse number 32. And our Lord is kind of going to start to shift gears now. So he tells them of everything that's going to happen, but then he's going to start speaking in a series of parables to reinforce uh, everything that he has just now been teaching. And uh, he's going to tell them exactly uh, what is going to be taking place. Um, so we're going to look at several of these uh, parables, but primarily the one that we're going to focus our attention on here is in Matthew 32 through 35. But there are other ones here throughout this portion of scripture. For example, you have uh, the watchful doorkeeper and the watchful owner in uh, Matthew 24, uh, 43 and 44. You have the wise servant in Matthew 24, uh, 45 through 51. Then you have the, the virgins, the 10 virgins, five were uh, wise, five were foolish. Uh, Matthew 25, uh, 1 through 13. The talents, Matthew 25, 14 through 30. And then you have the sheep and the goats in Matthew 25, uh, 31 through 34. And so all of these parables are going to be used, our Lord is going to use them to really teach about his second coming, just to reinforce that truth of uh, what it's going to be like. So this is what I'd like for you to take away with you uh, this morning. Be ready. Christ promises to return. Be ready. Christ promises to return. So let's take a look here at our portion of scripture, uh, Matthew 24, 32 through 35. First thing I want you to see is he is near when you see these things. Christ is near when you see these things. He says, from the fig tree, he's speaking to his disciples, from the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, 
but my words will not pass away. You know, I believe the hope of every Christian is going to be the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what we're waiting for. Um, that is what we are expecting to happen. I mean, because this is what Jesus has told us is gonna happen. And so it's something that we are waiting for. We are waiting for, looking for that blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God is what uh, scripture tells us, the glorious liberation of the children of God. We're, re we're waiting for the redemption of our body, right? When this corruption will put on incorruption. We're waiting for that. We're yearning for that. We're longing for that. And uh, so we need to be uh, looking ahead for that. Uh, we find that Paul says that uh, one day in the future, we, we will be presented as a chaste virgin to Jesus Christ. Uh, so when Christ returns, the body of Christ, the, the bride of Christ will be presented to Christ as a chaste virgin. And uh, so as we look at this portion of scripture here, he's trying to teach us something about his coming and about this parable of the fig tree. Now, when we go through this, I think this is gonna do a couple things. I, I think it's gonna bring a tremendous impact of what our Lord is saying about his second coming. Um, and it's gonna help us and learn how to apply what he has been saying about his second coming. Now, I have two main points today uh, with this passage of scripture. And so the first one here, he is near when you see these things. Christ promises to return. And uh, he says that he is near when you see these things. What things? Well, everything that he had told us about, right? about the birth pains, about the abomination of desolation. He says, when you see these things, know that Christ is near. Know that he's coming, he's there. So our Lord gives this disciples here this parable to teach them this awesome truth about his second coming that he is coming, that he will come. Now, parables throughout scripture uh, were for the purpose of making things clear to the disciples. Uh, for example, let's, let's turn back over to Matthew chapter number 13 uh, here just briefly, just for a moment. Matthew 13, i give you a good illustration of this. Uh, Matthew 13 and uh, verse number 10, the Lord is giving the uh, parables here. And then he says here, verse 10, uh, the disciples come to him. They say, why do you speak to them in parables? Verse 11, this is what Jesus says. He answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. And so parables really had a twofold purpose. Parables that were not revealed or given, understood, they were hiding a meaning. But when Jesus explains what that parable is, then it's revealed truth. And so Jesus here gives the disciples revealed truth as to his second coming. He says, look, you need to learn the lesson of the fig tree. Here's the parable, right? And so he gives it, and so he explains to him to make it more clear to them, to make the illustration very clear. So our Lord here says, I'm gonna teach you a lesson about my second coming. And it's this analogy of the fig tree. Now, uh, 
Jesus used the fig tree often to teach uh, things. In fact, he did it uh, in chapter 21. Prior to this, uh, the disciples come out and Jesus finds this fig tree. And in uh, verses 18, chapter 21 of Matthew, he says, in the morning as he was returning to the city, he became hungry, the Jesus was, and seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it, found nothing on it, but only leaves. And he said to it, may no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. When the disciples saw it, they marveled saying, how did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up, thrown into the sea, it'll happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. And so Jesus teaches, he uses the fig tree to teach them a lesson about barrenness and about faith in God. And so he's trying to teach them some important things. And so he uses a fig tree. Uh, in fact, Jesus really wasn't the first teacher that ever used a fig tree. And we find in Judges chapter nine, verses 10 through 11, Jotham uses a fig tree. Hosea chapters nine and 10, figs are used. Uh, Jeremiah 24, two, Jeremiah uses baskets of figs to speak of good and bad people. Um, in Joel chapter one, verses six and seven, uh, he used a fig tree as a analogy of a spiritual lesson. And you'll even find in the book of Revelation, that the universe will collapse like a fig tree. It'll be shaken and all the figs will just come off. Uh, so the fig tree is used many times throughout scripture. Now look what our Lord says here in Matthew 24 specifically. He wants them to understand what he says. Look what he says. Learn, from the fig tree, learn its lesson. In other words, don't just listen, but get the message. I would have to say that probably a majority of my time in high school was listening, but not getting the message, right? And that is something that is very important for us as believers to not just listen to truth, but to actually take it in and learn the truth, right? Don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word is what scripture tells us to do. And so we have to learn, we have to learn its lesson. And so the word he uses here means to learn something thoroughly. It's used even to express the idea of an acquiring and a habit of doing it. Uh, Paul used the same word in uh, Philippians 4.11, where he says, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. So he says, I've learned the message of this. I've actually applied it thoroughly into my life. And so it's something that he learned deeply, something he just didn't hear about, but it was something that was a habit that he began to form into his life. And so Jesus says, I want you to learn the message, learn the lesson of the fig tree, apply it to your life and make preparations in your life. And so here's the story. Look what he says. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. Now, nobody can really misunderstand that, right? 
How many of you have some form of a fruit tree in your yard? Okay, a few of you. How many of you know what a fruit tree looks like? Okay, most of you, good, <laughs> all right? So when, you, when spring is coming around, right, what happens? The leaves change, right? The, the tree puts forth its leaves. We know that spring is there. And what is gonna happen after spring? Here comes the fruit, right? It bears the fruit, right? So here comes the fruit, and here's the fruit, and so harvest is there. And so he says, it's really not complex here. He says, when the branch becomes tender, he says, when the branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. Now, in this time of the year, when sap begins to flow into those branches, the branches become almost pulsating. They become full, and they're very tender, and there, much care has to be given to the tree. And he says, you know that summer is near. You know it's coming. You know we're almost there. And he says, this is it. He says, so when you see this, you know that it's spring. And spring means summer and is near. And summer means then harvest. Throughout the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus speaks about harvest many times. Uh, the harvest is speaking about the time when he comes to separate the wicked from those that are saved. Harvest, he talks about speaking of judgment in the book of Matthew. It speaks of the Lord coming to deal with the good and the bad. For example, let's turn over to Matthew chapter number three. Uh, this is kind of a first instance that we find of this. In Matthew chapter number three, you have here John the Baptist and his message. And here's what he says in verse number 10. This is John the Baptist speaking. He says, even now the ax is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Then he says here in verse number 12, he talks about this judgment. When a tree has no good fruit, it's chopped down. Look at verse 12. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with an unquenchable fire. A winnowing fork was used when they would gather all of the, the crop. The crop would come in and this winnowing fork they would take and they would toss things up in the air. And what would happen is the chaff would blow away, but then all the grain would fall down. And so he's saying he's going to gather all of the chaff together, and he says that he'll burn it with an unquenchable fire. So he says when harvest comes, know something, learn its lesson, that the judge, Christ, is going to come, and he is going to separate the wheat from the chaff. And what is he going to do? Well, he's gonna take the grain, he's gonna take the wheat, and that is gonna be gathered together into his barns, but the chaff is gonna be burned with an unquenchable fire. So he tells us about this harvest. Look at uh, Matthew chapter number nine. Look what he says here. Matthew chapter number nine, we find again this mention of a harvest. Look at verse number 36. He says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them 
because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So Jesus here, he's moved with compassion because they're wearied. The people had been abused by false shepherds and they are scattered like sheep that have no shepherd. And then he says to his disciples in verse 37, notice this, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. In other words, God is going to judge the world and Jesus sees compassionately the world that is scattered about. They have no shepherd. And he's saying, look at all this harvest. We need to be praying that the Lord will send people into his harvest so that they can, in a way, go out and labor into the harvest there. And we should be warning people of judgment to come. And I believe this is a prayer that I think as believers in Christ that we as a church should be praying for as well. We as a church ought to be praying that the Lord would send out labors into his harvest. Sending people out, sending people out, sending people out, that they go out and bring people into the kingdom. Look at Matthew uh, 13 here again. Let's turn back over there. Matthew 13 we find here, notice in verse number 30, again, he mentions about this harvest. He says, let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. And so again, this harvest is seen as a time of judgment, a time of burning of the part of those that are evil and reward on the part of those that are good. Look at verse number 40, what he says here in the same chapter. He says, just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. Look at verse number 41. This really explains it more in detail. He says, the son of man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers. So he's saying at the end, when you see these things, know that harvest is coming. Know that it's coming. When you see these things, know that it's coming. And so we can find ourselves here. Our Lord teaches us this parable about this fig tree and he's explaining to us the coming, the end, the end of the harvest is coming. And you know that summer is near. And uh, since they would perceive the harvest to be the second coming, the coming of God's judgment, they would very easily understand the intent of what our Lord here is saying. Now in Luke's account, he's a little bit more specific about this. In Luke chapter 21, verse 31, he says this, so also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. So this is this kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's the end of man's day. It is going to be the beginning of God's day. And so what he's saying is when you see all these things, when you see the birth pains, when you see all the signs, the, the ultimate sign of the Son of Man of coming in the clouds, he says, no, that the end of the age is near and it's gonna be all over. So we may not know the day or the hour. In fact, Jesus himself says he doesn't even know the day or the hour of when he's coming but he expects us to be watching. That's why he told his disciples, learn the lesson, be watchful, know what to be looking for, 
Don't just coast through life. No, you got to be applying these things into your life. And so he does not intend uh, his coming to be a complete shock to us. He wants us to be aware of what's going on. He wants us to notice the changing of the leaves. He wants us to be prepared. And that's why he is telling us these things. So let's look here at the second thing. His words will not pass away. Now look here at verse 34. He says, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So this is an unmistakable application of this, right? He says, truly I say to you, this is an emphasis I'm emphasizing this. Don't let this slip by you. This generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. This generation shall not pass. Now the question comes immediately at this. What generation is he talking about? Who's he talking to? Now there's a lot of different views on this and... uh, from what people may say who this generation is. Um, I'm not gonna give all of these views, but I wanna talk about one of them that I think is important because people like to use this view to discredit our Lord's teaching here. He's talking to the disciples and they say, well, he tells his disciples, this generation shall not pass away. Well, what happened to the disciples? Are they still alive? No. (laughs) Well, if you talk to a Mormon, they believe that uh, John is still alive, but uh, uh, this generation shall not pass away. He says, people that look, take this example and they say, well, Jesus here, eh, you know, he was right about a few things, but he was totally wrong about this. All the disciples, they died. Well, if that's true, okay, if Jesus was speaking and saying, this generation, the disciples, are not gonna pass away, and they did pass away, what would that make Jesus? A liar, right? We can't trust his word now, right? No, okay. I believe this generation, he is talking about the generation. Remember, we're talking about future things. I believe he is referencing to the generation that'll be alive during that time. And he says, this generation that'll be alive during these times, the the generation that'll see these things happen, they will not pass away until all these things take place. So he wasn't talking about this little group of disciples because if that's what he meant, he could have just said, you will not pass away till all these things be fulfilled. So I believe it is the generation of Christians who have really endured through the end of the tribulation. And really there's a couple different uh, takes on this. Uh, Some people believe that Christ is going to return prior to the tribulation and that the people that will be uh, during this generation will be believers that have become believers during the tribulation. And then there are also people that believe that it'll be all of the Christians will go through the tribulation until Christ returns. Um, So whichever way that you are on this, uh, the point is that uh, there will be a generation of Jews and Gentiles that know Christ as their savior that will not pass away till all these things take place. Now let's wrap this up with a very important statement that our Lord makes about his teaching here. Verse 35, heaven and earth will pass away. 
That's a tremendous, unbelievable statement. Think about that. Heaven and earth passes away. It's gone. But he says, my word will not pass away. He says, you will see the sign of the son of man in heaven. You've already seen this collapse of the heavenly bodies, the the sun goes out, the moon doesn't shine, the stars fall from heaven. He says it's gonna pass away. And then he sums it up and he says, everything that you know, the end, heaven and earth will come to an end as we know it. But he says, but my words shall what? Not pass away. This, folks, is an unchanging authority. We live in a generation today where culture is trying to change the gospel message. Or we have culture that wants to change the church. That's not how it works. The gospel needs to be affecting culture. The gospel needs to be affecting of how we live. It's not the other way around. So Jesus says, my unchanging authority will not pass away. We can rest on that forever to know that God's word will stand sure, to know that his word will stand in authority. Even as the whole world is collapsing, his unchanging word will never change. In Luke chapter uh, 16, 17, he said, heaven and earth will pass away. And he says, it's easier for them to do that than one jot or one tittle of the law. One jot or one tittle is the difference of a changing of a word in, in Hebrew. And so he says that not even one jot or one tittle will pass away. His word will never change. In John chapter 10, 35, he said, scripture cannot be broken. Do you believe the word of God? Do you? I mean, do you really believe it? Are his teachings real to you and bring about truth and change in your life? And if we believe the word of God, then we really should be believing that this is what is going to happen then too. And so the question I ask you is, are you ready for the end? Are you prepared? If you find yourself living during the last days, will you be gathered together with the Lord's presence or will you find yourself gathered into the Lord's judgment? Let me close with one last scripture. If you will, turn over to uh, 2 Peter chapter three. 2 Peter chapter number three. And look what our Lord, uh, what Peter writes here to remind us about the day of the Lord and his coming. Second Peter chapter three, and look at the verse number one. Peter says, this is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, 
Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness. He's speaking to us believers now, waiting for the hastening, the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him. So he tells us here that we are supposed to be waiting for God. And while we are waiting, we should be living holy lives. We should be living a life without spot or blemish. And that's what we are supposed to be doing. And we are supposed to be living this way because Jesus is going to return. And when he returns, everything is gonna pass away. His word's not gonna pass away. And believers that know him will be gathered together with him. But what are we supposed to be doing in the meantime? Living holy lives without spot, without blemish. And we're supposed to be waiting patiently for the coming of our Lord. So we ought to be godly and holy. We ought to be looking for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We ought to be growing in grace. We are redeemed people looking for the Savior. Let's pray together. If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church.